0: Volume three, chapter five of Cecilia. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Dawn. Cecilia Memoirs of an Heiress by Francis Burney. Volume three, chapter five, an adventure. Never had the heart of Cecilia felt so light so gay, so glowing, as after the transaction of this affair. Her life had never appeared to her so important, nor her wealth so valuable. To see five helpless children provided for by herself, rescued from the extremes of penury and wretchedness, and put in a way to become useful to society and comfortable to themselves, to behold their feeble mother, snatched from the hardship of that labor which, overpowering her strength, had almost destroyed her existence, now placed in a situation where competent maintenance might be earned without fatigue and the remnant of her days pass in easy employment to view such sights and have power to say these deeds are mine what to a disposition fraught with tenderness and benevolence could give purer self applause or more exquisite satisfaction such were the pleasures which regaled the reflections of cecilia when in her way home Having got out of her chair to walk through the upper part of Oxford Street, she was suddenly met by the old gentleman, whose emphatical addresses to her had so much excited her astonishment. He was passing quick on, but stopping the moment he perceived her, he sternly called out, "'Are you proud? Are you callous? Are you hard of heart so soon?' "'Put me, if you please, to some trial.' cried Cecilia, with the virtuous courage of a self-acquitting conscience. "'I already have,' returned he indignantly, "'and already I have found you faulty.' "'I am sorry to hear it,' said the amazed Cecilia. "'But at least I hope you will tell me in what?' "'You refused me admittance,' he answered. "'Yet I was your friend, "'yet I was willing to prolong the term of your genuine tranquillity. I pointed out to you a method of preserving peace with your own soul. I came to you in behalf of the poor and instructed you how to merit their prayers. You heard me. You were susceptible. You complied. I meant to have repeated the lesson, to have turned your whole heart to compassion and to have taught you the sad duties of sympathizing humanity. For this purpose I called again, but again I was not admitted." "'Short was the period of my absence, "'yet long enough for the completion of your downfall.' "'Good heaven!' cried Cecilia. "'How dreadful is this language! "'When have you called, sir? "'I never heard you had been at the house. "'Far from refusing you admittance, I wished to see you.' "'Indeed?' cried he, with some softness. "'And are you in truth not proud, not callous, not hard of heart?' follow me then and visit the humble and the poor follow me and give comfort to the fallen and dejected at this invitation however desirous to do good cecilia started the strangeness of the inviter his flightiness his authoritative manner and the uncertainty whither or to whom he might carry her made her fearful of proceeding yet A benevolent curiosity to see as well as serve the objects of his recommendation, joined to the eagerness of youthful integrity to clear her own character from the aspersion of hard-heartedness, soon conquered her irresolution, and making a sign to her servant to keep near her, she followed as her conductor led. He went on silently and solemnly, till he came to Swallow Street. Then, turning into it, he stopped at a small and mean-looking house, knocked at the door, and without asking any question of the man who opened it, beckoned her to come after him, and hastened up some narrow winding stairs. Cecilia again hesitated, but when she recollected that this old man, though little known, was frequently seen, and though with few people acquainted, was by many personally recognized, she thought it impossible he could mean her any injury. She ordered her servant, however, to come in and bid him keep walking up and down the stairs till she returned to him and then she obeyed the directions of her guide. He proceeded till he came to the second floor. Then, again beckoning her to follow him, he opened a door, and entered a small and very meanly furnished apartment. And here, to her infinite astonishment, she perceived, employed in washing some china, a very lovely young woman, genteelly dressed, and appearing hardly seventeen years of age, The moment they came in, with evident marks of confusion, she instantly gave over her work, hastily putting the basin she was washing upon the table, and endeavoring to hide the towel with which she was wiping it behind her chair. The old gentleman, advancing to her with quickness, said, "'How is he now? Is he better? Will he live?' "'Heaven forbid he should not,' answered the young woman with emotion. "'But indeed he is no better.' "'Look here.' said he pointing to cecilia i have brought you one who has power to serve you and to relieve your distress one who is rolling in affluence a stranger to ill a novice in the world unskilled in the miseries she is yet to endure unconscious of the depravity into which she is to sink receive her benefactions while yet she is untainted satisfied that while she aids you she is blessing herself the young woman blushing and abashed said you are very good to me sir but there is no occasion there is no need i have not any necessity i am far from being so very much in want poor simple soul interrupted the old man and art thou ashamed of poverty guard Guard thyself from other shames, and the wealthiest may envy thee. Tell her thy story plainly, roundly, truly. Abate nothing of thy indigence, repress nothing of her liberality. The poor, not impoverished by their own guilt, are equals of the affluent, not enriched by their own virtue. Come, then, and let me present thee to each other. Young as you both are, with many years and many sorrows to encounter, lighten the burthen of each other's cares by the heart-soothing exchange of gratitude for beneficence. He then took a hand of each, and joining them between his own. You, he continued, who, though rich, are not hardened, and you, who, though poor, are not debased, why should ye not love? Why should ye not cherish each other? The afflictions of life are tedious, its joys are evanescent. Ye are now both young, and with little to enjoy will find much to suffer. Ye are both, too, I believe, innocent. Oh, could ye always remain so! Cherubs were ye then, and the sons of men might worship you!' He stopped, checked by his own rising emotion. But soon resuming his usual austerity such however he continued is not the condition of humanity in pity therefore to the evils impending over both be kind to each other i leave you together and to your mutual tenderness i recommend you then turning particularly to cecilia disdain not he said to console the depressed Look upon her without scorn. Converse with her without contempt. Like you, she is an orphan, though not like you an heiress. Like her, you are fatherless, though not like her, friendless. If she is awaited by the temptations of adversity, you also are surrounded by the corruptions of prosperity. Your fall is most probable, hers most excusable. Commiserate her, therefore, now. "'By and by, she may commiserate you.' And with these words he left the room. A total silence for some time succeeded his departure. Cecilia found it difficult to recover from the surprise into which she had been thrown sufficiently for speech. In following her extraordinary director, her imagination had painted to her a scene such as she had so lately quitted, and prepared her to behold some family in distress, some helpless creature in sickness, or some children in want, but of these to see none, to meet but one person, and that one fair, young, and delicate, an introduction so singular to an object so unthought of, deprived her of all power but that of showing her amazement. Meanwhile, the young woman looked scarcely less surprised, and infinitely more embarrassed. She surveyed her apartment with vexation, and her guest with confusion. She had listened to the exhortation of the old man with visible uneasiness, and now he was gone, seemed overwhelmed with shame and chagrin. Cecilia, who in observing these emotions felt both her curiosity and her compassion increase, pressed her hand as she parted with it, and when, a little recovered, said, "'You must think this a strange intrusion, but the gentleman who brought me hither is perhaps so well known to you as to make his singularities plead with you their own apology.' "'No, indeed, madam,' she answered bashfully." he is very little known to me but he is very good and very desirous to do me service not but what i believe he thinks me much worse off than i really am for i assure you madam whatever he has said i am not ill off at all hardly the various doubts to her disadvantage which had at first from her uncommon situation arisen in the mind of cecilia this anxiety to disguise not display her distress considerably removed "'since it cleared her of all suspicion "'of seeking by artifice and imposition "'to play upon her feelings. "'With a gentleness, therefore, "'the most soothing, she replied, "'I should by no means have broken in upon you "'thus unexpectedly, "'if I had not concluded my conductor "'had some right to bring me. "'However, since we are actually met, "'let us remember his injunctions "'and endeavour not to part till, "'by a mutual exchange of good will, "'each has added a friend to the other.' You are condescending indeed, madam, answered the young woman, with the air of the most humble, looking as you look to talk of a friend when you come to such a place as this, up two pair of stairs, no furniture, no servant, everything in such disorder. Indeed, I wonder at Mr. Albany. He should not, but he thinks everybody's affairs may be made public, and does not care what he tells, nor who hears him. He knows not the pain he gives, nor the mischief he may do. I am very much concerned, cried Cecilia, more and more surprised at all she heard, to find I have been thus instrumental to distressing you. I was ignorant whither I was coming, and followed him, believe me, neither from curiosity nor inclination, but simply because I knew not how to refuse him. He is gone, however, and I will therefore relieve you by going too, but permit me to leave behind me a small testimony that the intention of my coming was not mere impertinence. She then took out her purse but the young woman, starting back with a look of resentful mortification, exclaimed, "'No, madam, you are quite mistaken. Pray, put up your purse. I am no beggar. Mr. Albany has misrepresented me if he has told you I am.'" Cecilia, mortified in her turn, at this unexpected rejection of an offer she had thought herself invited to make, stood some moments silent, and then said, "'I am far from meaning to offend you, and I sincerely beg your pardon "'if I have misunderstood the charge just now given to me.' "'I have nothing to pardon, madam,' said she more calmly, "'except indeed to Mr. Albany, and to him tis of no use to be angry, "'for he minds not what I say. "'He is very good, but he is very strange, "'for he thinks the whole world made to live in common, "'and that every one who is poor should ask, "'and every one who is rich should give.' "'He does not know that there are many who would rather starve.' "'And are you,' said Cecilia, half-smiling, "'of that number?' "'No, indeed, madam, I have not so much greatness of mind, "'but those to whom I belong have more fortitude and higher spirit. "'I wish I could imitate them.' Struck with the candour and simplicity of this speech, Cecilia now felt a warm desire to serve her, and taking her hand said— Forgive me, but though I see you wish me gone, I know not how to leave you. Recollect, therefore, the charge that has been given to us both, and if you refuse my assistance one way, point out to me in what other way I may offer it. "'You are very kind, madam,' she answered, "'and I dare say you are very good. I am sure you look so, at least. But I want nothing. I do very well, and I have hopes of doing better.' Mr. Albany is too impatient. He knows, indeed, that I am not extremely rich, but he is much to blame if he supposes me, therefore, an object of charity, and thinks me so mean as to receive money from a stranger. "'I am truly sorry,' cried Cecilia, for the error I have committed, but you must suffer me to make my peace with you before we part. Yet, till I am better known to you, I am fearful of proposing terms.' "'Perhaps you will permit me to leave you my direction "'and do me the favour to call upon me yourself?' "'Oh, no, madam, I have a sick relation whom I cannot leave. "'And, indeed, if he were well, "'he would not like to have me make an acquaintance "'while I'm in this place.' "'I hope you are not his only nurse. "'I am sure you do not look able to bear such fatigue. "'Has he a physician? "'Is he properly attended?' "'No, madam, he has no physician and no attendants at all.' "'And is it possible that in such a situation "'you can refuse to be assisted? "'Surely you should accept some help for him, "'if not for yourself. "'But what will it signify when, if I do, "'he will not make use of it, "'and when he had a thousand and a thousand times rather die "'than let any one know he is in want? "'Take it, then, unknown to him. "'Serve him without acquainting him you serve him. "'Surely you would not suffer him to perish without aid. "'Heaven forbid!' but what can i do i am under his command madam not he under mine is he your father pardon my question but your youth seems much to want such a protector no madam i have no father i was happier when i had he is my brother and what is his illness a fever a fever and without a physician are you sure too it is not infectious oh yes too sure too sure how so because i know too well the occasion of it and what is the occasion cried cecilia again taking her hand pray trust me indeed you shall not repent your confidence your reserve hitherto has only raised you in my esteem but do not carry it so far as to mortify me by a total rejection of my good offices ah madam said the young woman sighing you ought to be good i am sure for you will draw all out of me by such kindness as this the occasion was a neglected wound never properly healed a wound is he in the army no he was shot through the side in a duel in a duel exclaimed cecilia pray what is his name oh that i must not tell you his name is a great secret now while he is in this poor place for i know he had almost rather never see the light again than have it known surely surely cried cecilia with much emotion he cannot i hope he cannot be mr belfield ah heaven cried the young woman screaming do you then know him here in mutual astonishment they looked at each other you are then said cecilia THE SISTER OF MR. BELFIELD? AND MR. BELFIELD IS THUS SICK, HIS WOUND IS NOT YET HEALED, AND HE IS WITHOUT ANY HELP? AND WHO, MADAM, ARE YOU? CRIED SHE. AND HOW IS IT YOU KNOW HIM? MY NAME IS BEVERLY. AH! Oh, EXCLAIMED SHE AGAIN. I FEAR I HAVE done NOTHING BUT MISCHIEF. I KNOW VERY WELL WHO YOU ARE NOW, MADAM. But if my brother discovers that I had betrayed him he will take it very unkind and perhaps never forgive me. Be not alarmed, cried Cecilia. Rest assured he shall never know it. Is he not now in the country? No, madam, he is now in the very next room. But what has become of the surgeon who used to attend him, and why does he not still visit him? It is in vain now to hide anything from you. My brother deceived him, and said he was going out of town merely to get rid of him. And what could induce him to act so strangely? A reason which you, madam, I hope, will never know. Poverty! He would not run up a bill he could not pay. Good heaven! But what can be done for him? He must not be suffered to linger thus. We must contrive some method of relieving and assisting him, whether he will consent or not. I fear that will not be possible. One of his friends has already found him out and has written him the kindest letter but he would not answer it, and would not see him, and was only fretted and angry. Well, said Cecilia, I will not keep you longer, lest he should be alarmed by your absence. Tomorrow morning, with your leave, I will call upon you again, and then, I hope, you will permit me to make some effort to assist you. If it only depended upon me, madam, she answered, now I have the honor to know who you are, i believe i should not make much scruple for i was not brought up to notions so high as my brother ah happy had it been for him for me for all his family if he had not had them neither cecilia then repeated her expressions of comfort and kindness and took her leave this little adventure gave her infinite concern all the horror which the duel had originally occasioned her again returned she accused herself with much bitterness for having brought it on and finding that mr belfield was so cruelly a sufferer both in health and his affairs she thought it incumbent upon her to relieve him to the utmost of her ability his sister too had extremely interested her her youth and the uncommon artlessness of her conversation added to her melancholy situation and the loveliness of her person excited in her a desire to serve and an inclination to love her and she determined if she found her as deserving as she seemed engaging not only to assist her at present, but, if her distresses continued, to receive her into her own house in future. Again she regretted the undue detention of her two hundred pounds. What she now had to spare was extremely inadequate to what she now wished to bestow, and she looked forward to the conclusion of her minority with increasing eagerness. The generous and elegant plan of life she then intended to pursue daily gained ground in her imagination— and credit in her opinion. End of chapter 5